Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So now it's Easter, and I'll tell you what, I've heard a lot of Easter sermons in my life. I don't know if any of you grew up in the church. I bet you've heard a couple of sermons yourself. And I've heard a lot of, um, and by the way, if you didn't grow up in the church, welcome. This is, <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that you're checking us out. Um, I've heard a lot of sermons about the um, why of Easter. I've sometimes heard sermons about the who of Easter, who was involved, and what happened in Easter. But I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon that talked about the when of Easter, the when of Easter. Did you all catch in the, in the scripture reading today? When did Easter happen? It was in the very beginning of the reading. After the Sabbath, the, the whole story of resurrection happened after the Sabbath, as in after the day of rest, after people were able to like rest, even when things were uncertain, there was uh, a resurrection. I think that there's something important here. Um, but when we talk about when, in Jesus's time, we can't not also acknowledge the context because this biblical story wasn't written in space outside of context. This biblical story was written in a historical context where there was people and leaders and, and things going on. And in Jesus's context, that when is happening all the time. Something we learned last week was that it wasn't just Jesus and the people he was crucified next to who experienced this torturous execution by the state. This state-sponsored violence for the sake of peace. But it was actually a lot of people. Uh, uh, Jesus was in this context that was marred by violence. It was during this Pax Romana when the Roman Empire said, um, we are going to crucify you if you do not obey the, the emperor. We're going to crucify you if you don't obey Caesar. That was, uh, that was the message of the empire. And it was like a public thing. Like it wasn't like this silent little, uh, uh, little, uh, firing squad over here. It was like, like the, you would walk down the street and there would be people hanging there as teaching illustrations of what happens if you cross the powers that be. This is part of the when of the resurrection story. It didn't just happen a contextually. It happened in the midst of an empire. And I imagine that if you were living back then, there might've been some clouds hanging over your head. There might've been some storms happening in your inner life because you were so sick and tired of being sick and tired. There might've been some weariness in your soul because you're living in a when when there's so much injustice that you don't know where to begin. There might have been a weariness because your fundamental humanity was not being recognized by your society. The when of Jesus is marked by a time of injustice and oppression. And the resurrection decided to break through when? On the Sabbath, the day after the Sabbath. The day after this, like, practice of revolutionary rest. The Sabbath has been around since the Ten Commandments, which was, like, 
a long time before Jesus' time, for thousands of years, people were practicing this day of rest. They tried to practice Sabbath while, uh, th- while they were wandering. They tried to practice Sabbath when the kingdom was uh, in tatters. They tried to practice Sabbath when they were, in, um, uh, when they were scattered in the region and, and then they lost their homelands. They tried to practice Sabbath while they were refugees. Jesus comes from a tradition of people who learned how to rest when things were hard. Jesus came from people who knew that if they had one day of the week where they could practice connecting to God, one day of the week where they could put pause on all the nonsense and clear their minds, if there could be one day of the week where they can sleep a full night and remember to nourish their bodies and connect with people and delight in the goodness of God in the midst of things being hard, if they could practice one day, then that would change the rest of the other six Days. Do you hear what I'm saying? That, that the practice of Sabbath is not just about having a day away. It's a, it's a practice of alchemy for the rest of your week. It's the practice of saying that no matter how hard this week is, I am only six days away from having an encounter with God. And that's something I can, I can sustain. That's something I can endure. It changes the whole perception of time to have one day a powerful Sabbath, okay? And I'm not just talking about like Netflix. I love Netflix. I'm talking about like meaningful rest, like really deep rest that you need for your body to sustain itself. This is something that folks have been practicing for thousands of years. And I bet even as, you know, I'm seeing lots of nods in in the room. I bet even as we are nodding along, there is a little voice in your head. There's a little thing in in the back uh, that is saying that, but that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Rest? It doesn't make sense to rest. Why would I rest when there's still so much to do? Why would I rest when so-and-so needs such-and-such? You know what I'm talking about. There's always a so-and-so, and and there's always a such-and-such, okay? There's always someone knocking on your door wondering about what about this, what about that? Why would I rest when I don't feel like I'm enough? Like, there's, there's a little voice in your head that's like, I don't believe that rest is logical. I don't believe that it makes sense. And that little voice is what is going to rob you of your sacred rest every week because instead of being able to fully rest, you're kind of always doing this like half guilt thing where it's like, oh, but I'm supposed to be over here. Oh, but this person wanted this from me. Oh, but I needed this. Oh, but my inbox is a nightmare. Like, listen, (laughs) you can bet that if Jesus was around today that Jesus's inbox would be a nightmare, okay? (laughs) And he's to find a way to rest. Hallelujah. And for those of you who weren't here last week, like the reason why we've been focusing on stories of Jesus, this whole sermon series, is because we felt like if we focused on any other biblical story of rest, it would be too dismissible that people would be like, oh, well, that was, you know, that was for David or that was back then. But it's like, nah, y'all, we're talking about Jesus. Like he's like the main guy of our religion like he's the one who's like god on earth who's showing us how to live in a body jesus is like the pinnacle of of the experience of what it means to be alive and jesus took naps and jesus practiced sabbath and the followers of jesus observed sabbath even after their savior was publicly executed oh 
they practiced practiced Sabbath not even knowing for sure that the resurrection was going to happen. Ooh, they practiced Sabbath even when there was a deep trauma of a public execution, a lynching of their beloved teacher and savior, and they still practiced Sabbath. They still found a way to rest. Jesus' disciples knew that if we wait for certainty to rest, if we wait to know for sure what our future is going to hold, then we're never going to get there. So we got to just cut into this. We got to drive a spike, a spoke into the wheel of the empire and, and go away and rest for a little bit before we return back to the world. And thank God, thank God that there are women who practice Sabbath because those women were able to see the resurrected Christ, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Imagine if they were so busy that they never got around to have the, the, the restful posture, the restful soul that they needed to be able to see the best news that ever happened and to spread that good news in the world. Ooh, I'm so grateful that they took a break. Imagine all the good things that you could do if you take a meaningful break. Ooh, Imagine all the resurrections that you can see in the world if you are able to come in with fresh eyes, if you're able to know that you are loved by God and and trust that presence within you. Imagine if you are able to see God present in everyone in the world. Like that's what rest is setting you up to do. This is revolutionary rest. But I know what, I know, I know, I get, I get the logic. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. Here's the spoiler. By the logic of the empire, the gospel will never make sense. Like, if we're waiting for the empire to be like, yes, it totally makes sense in the productivity cycle for you. To, like, it's never going to happen, y'all. Like, Moses and all of his folks were slaves in Egypt creating mud bricks. The pharaoh was never like, oh, gosh, why don't you all just just take an extra weekend off. You know, like, the Pharaoh's never going to tell folks that it's time to rest. We have to decide that for ourselves. We have to carve out our own Sabbath. And there's a certain foolishness to rest. There's a certain foolishness to the the word of Jesus, a foolishness. And this is accounted for. Um, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, look at the situation when you were called, brothers and sisters and siblings, by ordinary human standards, empire standards, not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many were from the upper class, but God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers foolish, to shame the wise. Christians are people who are called to live foolishly, to rest like fools, to love each other like fools, to build community like fools, because the empire doesn't want us to be together. (laughs) The empire doesn't want people to be powerful. The empire doesn't want people who can fight back. And so we as Christians live as fools for the empire in the wisdom of the gospel, knowing that there is another world possible, that we can live a different way, that it is possible. And sometimes we're going to look a little foolish. Listen, last week, was it last week that there was the bird? Or was it two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago. Okay, listen, can I just tell you a story here? Okay, so I'm here I am preaching. And there, is, uh, there, is, there was a bird from, who started flying into that window right there. And how persistently was the bird flying into the window? Very persistently. <laughs> like, it was like, wow, wow. 
and 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 um and I and I was like, hey, if anybody wants to go out and uh, and address that, like feel free to uh, <laughs> do that. And so we had some like saints who stepped out and and who like you know kind of like were getting this bird away. But this bird was persistent, okay. Even with a little bit of it, like this bird wasn't just gonna clear away from people being around. So like let's just say that there were like props involved, like that we had to like find an umbrella. There was a cane. People were waving it around, and I just thought like. Okay, the two observations. One, both of the people who went out to help the bird are poets. There, and I, there's something there. I think that's another sermon. There's something there. But two, sometimes you gotta, you gotta step out and look a little foolish for the sake of, of the flourishing of life. Like sometimes we gotta step out and clear away the birds, even if it's like, a little silly feeling, or even if we're not totally sure about the situation, sometimes we gotta find an impromptu umbrella and do a little dance with it because the flourishing of life requires it. And as uh, Christians, we're trying to be scholars of the flourishing of life. We're trying to understand what it is required for our communities to be able to flourish. Thank God for those poets because they were the ones who showed us that uh, the flourishing of life sometimes requires a little bit of foolishness by empire standards, but perfect logic by, according to the gospel standards. And I know that some of you are looking at this Easter story. Perhaps some of you um, don't actively identify as Christian. Lots of folks at New City don't identify as Christian. Um, and some of you might be looking at this Easter story of Jesus coming back from the dead and being like, well, yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, uh, you might be saying to yourself, like, why would an all-powerful God die? How can you reverse an execution? And why didn't Jesus lead a military rebellion? These are actually the questions that historically people who have sought to discredit Christianity have asked. Like, and, that, um, and these questions remain. Like, I took a lift here uh, this morning in the church, and my, uh, uh, my lift driver asked me, so how can an all-powerful God die? And it's like in the morning and I'm like, okay, we're getting into the Easter sermon right away, y'all. Prepare for the good news. Hallelujah. You got to be ready. You got to be ready. Because your Lyft driver is going to be asking you questions from your second year of seminary. And you got to be ready, y'all. Like, I hope you have citations because you got to be ready. And it's also true that each of you are going to encounter moments where you got to be ready to proclaim some good news, where people are going to be asking you for some support or asking you for some guidance or some spiritual wisdom. And God has put in your life everything that you need to be ready. So get ready. You don't got to get ready if you stay. If you if you're already ready, you don't have to get. Okay. So um, <laughs> so some of you look at the the story of the gospel and it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. And the thing that I'm trying to confer to you today is that Christianity only makes sense if you start with an outrageous assumption of love. Like Christianity will always seem a little foolish unless your starting place is love. Unless you start with love, okay, then nothing is ever going to make sense. None of the life of Jesus, not one of his miracles, not one of the actions of his disciples is going to make any sense unless you are starting with an assumption of love. And that's not just like little, little like, oh, love is so nice. I'm talking about powerful love. I'm talking about deep love. I'm talking tectonic plates shifting kind of love. A love that says that you are worthy. 
worthy as a beloved child of God, and every person you encounter is a child of God. That is the kind of love that I'm talking about. It is strong. It makes a difference. And none of the story of Christianity is ever going to make sense unless you start understanding love. Nothing, especially the resurrection, is going to make sense unless you assume love as a predicate. And I know that there are folks in this room today who are not sure if they are loved. I know that there are folks who are unsure whether or not they, they will ever be able to receive love again, who are unsure about the love of, of some harm, harmful relationships. I know that there are folks who are wrestling through this right now. And the outrageous hunch of Christianity is that you are loved even when other people aren't respecting you. You are loved even when your community is, is a certain kind of way. You are loved even when the world is a dumpster fire. There is an outrageous assumption of love that makes everything else make sense. But if you don't get that, then none of it is going to make sense, okay? Um, so, uh, you know, like what doesn't make sense is pretending that the empire will lead us to freedom. What doesn't make sense is pretending that playing by the master's rules in the master's house is going to undo the master's house. Like, what doesn't make sense is to believe that if we just oppressing us, that somehow we're going to change or somehow we're going to be free. What doesn't make sense is exactly the lie that the empire is trying to convince you of, the spiritual forces of oppression and domination. That's what doesn't make sense. And so it doesn't make sense that we pretend that burnout will somehow lead to rest, okay? This message that somehow if I just push myself harder, if I just burn out a little bit more, then I will get to rest. That is really to rest. Rest will lead to rest. It doesn't make sense to believe that shame will lead to belonging. It doesn't make sense for you to hate yourself so much that you believe that if you just do enough that somehow things are going to be different. It doesn't make sense that uh, in, in a world that is trying to convince you that supremacy is the only way of being safe, that supremacy will lead to safety. It doesn't make sense for us to... Uh, hide away from people who are acting a fool who <laughs> it doesn't make sense do you know what i'm saying i uh, let me let me make it simple like there are white supremacists who came to our neighborhood during the uprising of george floyd and and they intentionally burned stuff down and they intentionally broke windows and they were trying to intimidate us and it doesn't make sense for the people of god to be intimidated by supremacists and believing that we will ever be safe what, what the gospel says is that we are to resist. You heard the baptism. We are to resist evil in all of its forms, and that is how we will be safe. It doesn't make sense that if we uh, ever think in terms of execution that it will lead to life. And so God gives us a foolish message that is grounded in love, a message that says that resurrection, new life is possible, that execution is never going to lead to community safety, that we need a different method. And Jesus is like, hey, I've got a great story for you. And that is what it means to be people of the res resurrection, to believe that the lies of the empire will only result in more empire. But if we lean into the gospel, it'll only result in more flourishing life. One of the ways that you can know if you are living by the gospel is if you are contributing to the flourishing of life. By the way, 
God, okay, I gotta, I gotta wrap up soon. But God, I'm just like, God is like two big things. Jesus said the two big commandments, love your, God, uh, love your God with everything you got, then love your neighbor as yourself. If how you are living as a Christian is not contributing to the love of God, neighbor, and self, then you might not be following Jesus, okay? <laughs> like, like, love God, love neighbor, love self. That's the good news of the gospel. And I know that you all are living in a certain kind of when. I know that you have a, a, a lot coming at you. I know that the pandemic was hard for all of us, and especially hard for some of us. I know that there's a lot on your plate right now, and sometimes the future doesn't feel certain. And the invitation for you is to love like a fool, to live like a fool, to, get, to lean into community like a fool, because the logic of the gospel is the only thing that is going to get us out. That is what Jesus came to teach us. That is why God is knocking on the door. And even if you're saying that you're not ready, that's okay. Uh, God is just saying, tell me when. Amen.